Yo, Rob Harvilla from 60 Songs That Explain the 90s here to inform you that we are back with 30 more songs because the 90s were super long and had a ton of rad music. Please join us every Wednesday for more 60 Songs That Explain the 90s only on Spotify. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Calista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com FYC. This episode is brought to you by Hulu. Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone star in Hulu's limited series Under the Bridge, a chilling true crime story based on the acclaimed novel. Hailed as a riveting and heartbreakingly realistic work by the Chicago Sun-Times and featuring excellent performances, according to Time magazine, the series is for your Emmy consideration in all categories, including outstanding limited series and outstanding supporting actress in a limited series for Keough and Gladstone. For more information, visit fyc.hulu.com. It is Thursday, May 12th, and we are talking today about a topic that I love to talk about, who's winning the streaming wars. I know we could come back to this, but it really is the most fascinating thing. And yesterday, we had a new data point. The Walt Disney Company released its quarterly earnings, and that included a new update on how many subscribers they have for Disney+, Plus, for Hulu, and for ESPN+, Plus around the world. And the pretty interesting number they released was they have 205 million subscribers now, which is about 15 million less than Netflix, which has been considered the industry leader for about a decade. So Disney creeping up on Netflix. The question is, at what cost? And we're going to get into that today with Michael Nathanson, who is a really well-respected analyst who covers the streaming wars. And he's actually been pretty prescient. He was calling BS on some of the Netflix numbers for years, and nobody would listen. And then all of a sudden, We had this huge correction about a month ago where Netflix disappointed and said that they were going to lose subscribers in the next quarter and the entire stock market freaked out. So Nathanson has been doing a bit of a a victory lap the last couple of weeks saying, you know what, I told you so. And we're going to get into it with them. We're going to talk Netflix versus Disney and the rest on the streaming wars. I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Michael Nathanson. He is the founding partner and senior media analyst at Moffat Nathanson, which is a big analytic firm that looks at all the media industry and makes predictions, makes comments, uh, really gets inside the numbers to help these companies and help investors figure out who to invest in. And he's the perfect person to talk to right now because he has been warning about the great Netflix correction that has been happening over the past month or so. So we had some numbers revealed this past week that were pretty eye-opening. Disney revealed its second quarter earnings, and Disney now has 205 million subscribers to its Disney+, Plus, Hulu, and ESPN+, Plus services around the world. That's only 15 million less than Netflix. So in your mind, Are Netflix and Disney now on pretty much even fields in the streaming wars? Yeah, it's so interesting because, you know, we look at Disney by product type. I never, you know, it's so funny you said that because in all the analysis, we never aggregate up Hulu, ESPN, and Disney Plus. 
But you would say, you know, on a re- I look at a revenue basis, Matt. So they're still about ten billion dollars behind where Netflix is, right? So they're they move very quickly. They get a ton of credit for just the the advance that they they've made. So I would say they're they're in second place, but they see Netflix in front of them. They really do. They see it in front of them. And this is a product that did not exist, Disney Plus, until the end of 2019. So this is less than three years where they've gotten to 137 million subscribers around the world. Now, let's talk about how they got there, because that, I think, is the next front in the streaming wars. It used to be grow, 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 do whatever you have to do to add subscribers around the world. It didn't really matter if you made money, didn't really matter if you were basically giving away the product. And Disney grew so fast based on deals with companies like Verizon in the US where their subscribers got a lot of uh, Disney Plus for free. They get about a third of their Disney Plus subscribers from India where people pay almost nothing to watch cricket on the Disney Plus service. Um, We'll talk about that in a little bit. But the average revenue per user for Disney Plus is extremely low, especially when you compare it to Netflix, HBO Max, some of these others. And that seems to be what Wall Street cares about these days. Is that accurate? Yeah. Wall Street, for the longest time, didn't know what they were focusing on. They were focused on sub-sub-subs, right? And we kept saying, look, not all subs are created equal, as you pointed out. And at the end of the day, what's the return on getting the sub, right? So now, because rates have started to move up, people are now worried about profitability. We're now focusing on the actual revenue generated by each sub and the profit by each sub, right? You can get subs by giving away content all day long. And that's what people have done. But we're moving into another phase, a next phase, where it's about looking at the overall cost of being in this business and the cost of growing this business. And it's gigantic. I mean, you look at what Netflix is spending. They're spending 17 to $18 billion on content this year. Disney, which has sports, obviously, they spend about $33 billion a year on content. That's including NFL in the U.S. and you know all these other things. Um, you know, is that sustainable when the actual return on investment is unclear? So now you sound like me. Um, what, I'm sorry about that. I really apologize that you now sound like me because it's going to ruin your social life. Um, <laughs> what, you were what, on the Disney call yesterday. I saw you were there. They haven't banned you. They haven't banned. No, I, you know what? I love the people at Disney. I love Disney as a company. My question is what you're saying is, is was it a better strategy to just focus in on your super fans, right? Go after the people who love Disney's products that were going to support you from the beginning, families, Versus moving, you know, and chasing now a guidance number they gave out two years ago of over 230 million subs that may require investment in cricket by 2024. And, yeah, investment in local, like local content. So, so our view from the beginning was well, the question we had. We didn't know the answer is streaming a good business? Is this a good business? And when we started digging into the Netflix data that they put out about their top shows, what you see is this incredible fade of Netflix's shows. Stuff pops week one, week two, and then three or four weeks later, it's consumed and gone. And we're like, well, this is nothing like the way the media business has been organized, right? Like, they spend all this time to put out 10 or 12 good movies a year, you know, 10 great shows on television. They're, they're not a volume producer. 
they really organize themselves to make the best potential shot on goal from in front of the net, whereas Netflix is just churning stuff out. I think the media model is a better model. I think going into the streaming business and volume is a hard business, as Netflix has shown. It's not a very profitable business on a cash flow basis, right? So we've been asking that question. Our debate is, and I still think that, that Disney... Disney has a huge opportunity here, but I want them to start proving out why it makes sense to expand as quickly into local production, more sports rights. Like you, you need to prove it to the street that this is a good pivot versus where they started out in terms of the business plan. Especially when you look at some of the trending content on Disney Plus and it's Moana, it's Toy Story, it's The Simpsons, it's a lot of the legacy stuff. But if you talk to people at Disney, they say, Great, we've got those people. All the Marvel fans, all the Star Wars fans in the world are subscribed. In order for us to grow, we need to bring in general entertainment consumers, and they're doing that with the Hulu product. Right. So, so I love Dropout. I, you know, I, it was a great show. I love Dope Sick. But you know, you're competing with five or six other guys who have the same type of content, and it's really hard to win a game without the brand, without the library, right? So we're, you know, my worry is that there's so much amazing content in front of us right now. You know, the old peak TV idea from John Landgraf, which he was early on. I think general entertainment is a category that's hard to be a natural winner. Like it's hard to be a natural monopolist, and that's another Netflix point of view that we had versus the street, which is. It was being treated as a monopoly business, and and it's not a monopoly business, right? Yeah, they could they could make their shows here and there. They've done some great stuff at Disney, but I just don't know if it's a good return on capital business, right? Like, you 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 don't know if you have dope sick or not until it it's made, right? It's just it's a much harder business. And when if you remember when Iger about ten years ago started to realize that in the film business they were losing money in all these big entertainment movies, they started making more of the, you know, they bought Marvel and Star Wars, they figured out franchises. Oh, the infamous, the infamous Prince of Persia and John Carter pivot, where they spent 200 million plus on these gigantic movies that did not have any pre-branded awareness. And some of them hit, but some of them missed. And they said, you know what? Fuck it, we're not even gonna try that. We're just gonna go back to the hits. We're gonna remake the hits. We're gonna take the animated stuff and turn it into live action. We're going to do Star Wars, Pixar, Marvel movies, and that's pretty much it. Exactly. And they were really innovative there. And guess what? In 2019, Inno- Disney- innovative from a business perspective. Totally. I, I think from a from a consumer and content perspective, you know, I think you could make an argument that the movies are worse off because of that. But from a business perspective, it was taking a lot of the risk out of the movie business that had really hurt them. It's funny. I once asked Bob Iger at a conference, you know, our clients say you you got lucky. This is in 2019 when they had the biggest year ever. Clients think you got lucky in terms of what you've done. And he got, he got really defensive. He's like, that wasn't luck, Michael. This is not luck. You know, we have a strategy and then we execute against that strategy and it's not easy. And what I worry about is as you broaden away from that strategy and the assets that you have, it just becomes more of a random walk, which is another Wall Street term. It's just more random, right? You don't know what you have until you have it. And I just think that's a harder business than the businesses that we signed up for as Disney investors, you know? Right. And everybody is questioning their spending. It's pretty clear we're heading into a, if not a recession, into a um, a tougher economic environment. Um, everybody is going to question what they pay for all these streaming services, which is why all of them are coming up with ad-supported tiers. How do you think the ad-supported tier will play out 
in Netflix versus Disney. Because the Disney service is already pretty low priced. And I'm assuming what they're going to do is they're going to keep that price for the ad-supported tier and then raise it for people who don't want to watch ads. And Netflix is coming from a different perspective where that service is now pretty expensive when compared to the others, but they're probably going to lower the price for people who want to endure ads. Yeah, I think, uh, thanks for the, um, the very clear comparison. I think it's clear what you laid out that the Disney Disney roadmap is easier than who than the Netflix roadmap. They've done it with Hulu, right? So Hulu's revenue per user is equivalent between ad free and you know and and added supported. They've got they've been able to drive pricing and they have ad salespeople and they have experience. You know, we talked about this. You and I talked on the on the phone and then in emails. The Netflix kind of reveal on advertising to us was so clunky. It wasn't very, maybe it's better thought out than what they laid out on that earnings call, but it didn't feel like they really had a clear path of what they wanted to achieve. So we're still waiting to understand like who's going to sell it? How are you going to sell it? Is, you know, the pricing of these two strategies. And to your point, they are effectively getting 14, 15 bucks a month in revenue in the US, which is a great number. Like, I'm afraid there'll be a spin down. People say, okay, I'll give you, I'll go down to 10 bucks, nine bucks a month. And maybe you don't really monetize it the same way. I, I don't know, man. It's to me, especially if you're not watching as much Netflix as you once did. Yeah. You know, yeah. I talked to so many people who say, you know what, I just can't find that much good stuff on Netflix anymore. I still have it. Because now, it, for a lot of people, it's just like a utility. It's like having TV. But if you came to a lot of people and said, you know what, you're paying 15 bucks a month for Netflix, which you don't watch that much. How about 10 bucks a month for Netflix that you don't watch that much? But you'll have to endure some ads when you do watch. That's appealing to people. Oh, without a doubt, given your 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 kind of your starting point about the U.S. consumers probably under more pressure now than we've ever seen. Well, meaning in the past 20 years, inflation, interest rates. It's a problem. It really is a problem. So, yeah, again, like um, this, I was surprised that Netflix didn't attack this line of thinking earlier in their development, right? Like it was always in front of them that others were doing this and they didn't want to go there. And I guess I was surprised that maybe you were as well. I'm not putting words in your mouth, but this pivot feels like it's late. You know, it, it feels like it's late in their development, given that they are 70 million US subs. 15 bucks a month. It's a really, really mature product and done a great job. Now, what are you going to do about it within the US? It feels like there's a lot of risk on this, on this pivot here. Disney has a big decision to make in the next few months on the cricket rights in India, which sounds kind of silly, but it's a major deal because so many of the subscribers to Disney Plus come from India and they don't pay very much to get the service, but there's a whole shit ton of them. And if Disney doesn't re-up those rights. Uh, there are other bidders like Amazon. The Journal speculated that it's going to cost $5 billion to re-up those rights. They could lose a whole bunch of subscribers at a time when they are trying to craft this narrative of growth and getting to 230 million subscribers for Disney Plus by 2024. If you were in CEO Bob Chapek's chair, would you bid aggressively and try to get those uh, and try to re-up that deal? Okay. So I've covered Star for a long time. It was part of News Corporation. I've covered that for like 17 years. As one of my favorite executives said to me is that India always breaks my heart as a market. Like 
Every five-year plan that's ever been given to us about India has never been right because it's always in a more expensive market to compete and harder to monetize. I would be really impressed if Disney and Chapek decided to bid for a lesser package. Like, you know, maybe they're, maybe they'll break up IPL. That's the cricket package into three or four separate packages. I'd be really happy if they realized that, you know, India and cricket's not, not ultimately a good business for them. And I also would be happy if they walked away from their subscriber targets, which include a big part of, you know, India within their target. I think that's what we're all waiting for them to do. I, I would see it as a victory for Disney if that's what they did. I, I really would. It would show real sanity in terms of understanding, you know, what, you know, what they're heading into if they, if they win these rights. I really would. So you're prioritizing the revenue picture over the scale and growth picture that they have focused on. I would say, yeah, if, if, you know, if you are driving, and I don't think they are because they've said this a couple of times, but the simple version is, hey, they need to hit subscriber targets. They're willing to do anything. That I don't think is right. I think in, in, in their communications, they realize that the return on investment to buy cricket is really, really difficult. So maybe we don't have to get all those rights. Maybe we would then, they haven't said it, they would, they would take down targets. But I would think it's a victory if you said, hey, we're not going to hit our targets, but we're not going to lose a billion dollars a year on cricket, right? That would be a, a huge win for, for, for the investors, I, I, would, I would think. Yeah, from what I've heard from inside the company, that there are voices saying exactly that in the company. And those voices have become much louder in recent weeks as the investor appetite for these growth targets have has kind of faltered a bit. Well, can I say I mean, one of my worst calls in my career, I downgraded Disney at the start of the pandemic thinking a pandemic is bad for Disney. If you think about their assets, they're probably the most uniquely punished by a pandemic. And lo and behold, the stock went up 80% in 2020 because of streaming. People started just putting a huge multiple on streaming. We're past that. That's not going to happen again. I don't. I don't think the world's going to revisit streaming by putting you know massive ten-year multiples on businesses. So you need to be more focused on profitability and the cost to achieve that growth. That's where we are now. That's what I believe is happening. The CEO I mentioned, Bob Chapek, he has been under fire for a lot of different reasons. He's got the Florida problem with all the politicians dunking on him over the "Don't Say Gay" bill. He's got internal strife within the company over some of the reorg decisions they have made and some of the uh, the internal problems over the Florida law. Um, do you think there's a question as to whether he will even be re-upped when his contract is up next February? Do you think this growth narrative is buying him time? Or do you think that the board and everyone else is so focused on profitability that he's really got to get his act together on that front and on the revenue per user or else he is threatened. Like how, how, what does this all mean for him personally? That's a good question. I'm going to say, I don't know the answer, but if you listen to the answers last night on the earnings call, he, he gave, he gave two sides of the coin. He said, look, we're going to reach our targets in 2024. I'm going to break even by 2024 in Disney Plus, right? So I think, I think they they believe they can have their cake and eat it too. And if that's the internal plan, the board signed off on that. Like that's the internal plan. Um, so there's nothing changing. But they're and they're sort of opposed to each other those goals, because if you give up India, you give up the subscriber goal probably, right? But if you keep India, 
you probably give up on breaking even. Right, right. <laughs> they think in the last couple of calls, they were asked that question. If you lost cricket, could you still hit, hit your targets? And they said, yes. I think, you know, to your earlier question, we're all waiting to see how they price their ad light product, right? So currently, you know, for seven bucks, you're getting Disney Plus, which is great value, or seven to nine dollars, let's say. If all of a sudden you bring the price down with a, for an ad, uh, ad included product and you raise the pricing, that could drive profitability and add more subs. So like to us, and we wrote this in the note today, we're going to withhold judgment until we see their strategy on advertising, right? And they're, they're going to roll that out somewhere in the fourth quarter in the U.S. and somewhere next, next year. But to me, I think we kind of hold back until we see that, that strategy, right? And, that, and that's a big change for them because if you go back two years ago on the investor day in 2020, they did not want to go down the advertising road. They did not say that. They were not interested in pursuing it. And now they're saying, oh, well, that's going to be helpful to reach our targets you know, in 2024. So let's see, what the, let's see what the pricing looks like. We can come back on X number of months from now and, and have a follow-up podcast to talk about, does this do it? Will this achieve their goals of profitability and growth? You know? So last question. On Monday's show, Lucas Shaw and I did a mock draft of streaming services, uh, picked which, which services we would take if we had a 10-year window and wanted to see you know, the most possible growth, the most possible dominance. My first pick, I took HBO Max. Lucas's first pick, he took Disney+, Plus, including the assumption that Hulu will ultimately be bundled within um, and become part of it. Neither of us picked Netflix. Uh, I picked Netflix second, but if you were doing a draft these days, what would be your first pick? That's a that's an awesome question. But my first pick as to a 10-year... 10-year window. At, yeah, like Not you're today. Saying, I mean, obviously, they're all starting where they are today. Netflix is starting with 220 subs. Um, where, what would you pick as your, you know, your number one draft pick? You may think I'm out of my freaking mind. I guess you're cursed on a podcast, but you think I'm out of yes, my you can. fucking mind. I think Apple is really interesting. I really do. Like they, they've not generated a lot of subscribers, but like they have that old HBO mentality. Maybe it's because Plepler is advising them. Like their content is really good, right? The things I've watched, we've turned to each other, like, you know, this is great, great stuff. I worry. For HBO Max, that the pressures of running a company where you're promised to shareholders, you know, a certain number of, of cost saves and margin targets and cash flow, I worry that it's just hard to like get that all balanced, right? Um, but HBO Max, I'm interested in seeing how they roll out internationally. And then for Disney Plus, um, I wonder if, you know, the structure that you talked about with having a gatekeeper, you know, deciding where content goes, if that ultimately leads to internal strife. Like, I, I don't know. Like, to me, like, what, what I thought was amazing about HBO over all these years was the culture that they had at HBO over the long run. And I read the books and everything, just how they'd be able to kind of maintain the quality culture. And I worry about change of culture. I really do. I don't know if you do as well as a as a journalist or someone who spends a lot of time talking. I did talking. two years ago because I said, "Wait, they're gonna the, the service that brings me succession 
and you know game of thrones is all of a sudden gonna have f boy island on it and you know the max integration i thought would be super clunky and it doesn't seem to matter people are still going to hbo max for the good stuff and i think they'll go for the populist down market stuff as well and they've managed to not sully that brand in the way that i thought they might yeah, I'll tell you, we're now watching the uh, the Lakers show. I'm catching up to that. It's so yeah, it's great. good. It's so it's good. But you know, it's so funny. I know we're running out of time. Very often when I'm watching it with my wife, I'll turn to her and I'll say, this is great TV. This is great. Like, you know you're watching greatness. And I know people on Netflix won't like this, but there's so rarely a time when I turn to my wife and say, this is great. Like, this is great. And I think... I wonder if they're going to have to rethink the way they go to market, the way they've staffed themselves, because volume volume is not going to do it. You, you you need excellence, right? It's a really hard thing to drive for. But and you know Netflix what, has you, certainly been pursuing the volume path. I mean, I always say they they want to be CBS. They don't want to be HBO at this point. Um, but you know, we'll see if that works. I mean, Apple's the interesting one because obviously they have more money than they know what to do with. They can yeah, compete exactly. on every single thing, but. They also have the problem that they have no brand. They're building a brand in television from the ground up, whereas HBO has decades of association in the consumer's mind. So we'll see what they can do. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you, Michael Nathanson. Uh, hey, we thank appreciate you. you coming on. Be well. See you soon. All right. We are back with the call sheet, my daily prediction. Craig, I like to do box office predictions on Thursdays. And this weekend, the only real major release is Firestarter, which is a reboot of a Drew Barrymore 1980s horror movie that is a adaptation of a Stephen King book. Um, it's also available on Peacock as well as in theaters. So I'm going to make no predictions about Firestarter, but I am going to make a prediction about Doctor Strange 2. Full title I cannot pronounce correctly. So <laughs> multiverse of Madness. The multi the multiverse of madness, yes. Uh I think this movie is going to drop off more significantly than most Marvel movies do because it hasn't been as well liked, I think, in some of the forums and places where Marvel fans congregate. Um, it has its defenders like Sean Fennessy, but it's not it's not as much of a rewatchable. A lot of the Marvel movies end up getting watched by the same people multiple times in theaters. Ah. And because it is a little bit more horror oriented and kind of not as family friendly, I think that the typical drop off second weekend are usually 50% to 70%. Uh, the, you know, if you can get a 50% drop off on a movie that opened to $185 million, that's, pretty darn good 70 percent drop off is more like uh you know this one wasn't as loved i think we're gonna see drop off more towards the 70 percent number for this one but do you think that the fact that there are no other movies to see in theaters might help it it might it might yeah and i think that if this were a normal summer and there were big blockbusters every weekend you'd see uh more pressure on it but even without major competition i still think it's going to drop mm. We will see, though, and it's still not bad. I mean, $185 million for that movie uh, is still a great opening. And if, if it drops 65 70%, that's still $60 million or so. Not bad for second weekend. And it really doesn't have much next weekend either. I mean, Downton Abbey is coming. Downton Abbey 2, which does not really cross over into the Marvel world. It's really Gotta only— Got to get my tickets to that. I haven't— <laughs> I, I'm sure you've already got yours. I, I, <laughs> I will be there opening that. I, I want to see the people who line up in advance for the Downton Abbey sequel. 
All right, that is my prediction, and we will see. I want to thank Michael Nathanson for coming on the show, uh, the analyst, to talk about Disney. I want to thank producer Craig Horlbeck, and I want to thank you. We'll see you next week. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.